Well, the song stops. I figured I'm coming up here to preach. Yeah, good. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. What a great way to enter into our worship of the Lord this morning. Uh, I mentioned last week that we were going to be doing a study of the book of Philippians over the next few weeks. And uh, so we have a great deal of, of territory to cover in a short amount of time. The, the exposition of the book of Philippians does not line up well with interim pastor. It's just too much here. You know, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. So what we're going to do is jump from mountaintop to mountaintop mountaintop across Philippians and have to kind of hit the high spots. And, uh, and I know you'll just cover the valleys in your own quiet time. So we'll be okay, right? All right, we got that. Uh, I'm excited about being able to be with you today. We've had a great week and uh, looking forward to sharing in the time of the word with you. Uh, I want to be reading verses 1 to 11 this morning. And uh, we'll look at this, the, the focal point in the middle of this and sort of... Um, the peak of the passage as to what we're going to be focusing on this morning is verse 6. And as we look at verse 6, you see how things lead up to it and how things follow after it. But in essence, what he's saying, I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's sort of the, the general picture. God is not done with you. There you go. I need a few more of those every now and then. Right, <clears throat> So God is not done with you, and some of you are tempted to say that about your neighbor. Praise God, he ain't done with you. You know, Don't do that, because we'll get to see what he's saying. You're bound to more in love and love each other better. We don't want to say that. We're going to look at how God's doing that. But let's read the passage together, verses 1 to 11, and keep in mind that as these things build up to that and then flow out of that, God has a package deal here for us to understand how he wants to build us up. To maturity in Christ. So let's begin reading verse 1, chapter 1. Every pastor loves to start a passage by saying that. Verse 1, chapter 1, here we go. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we have an idea what you're talking about here. We have some general notions as to how this applies in our lives. We, we have some degree of confidence that every word of this is true. And yet, Lord, we have to say, I believe, help our unbelief. That this is indeed true. It is indeed for us and that you have levels of, 
understanding and depths of discernment that you want to give us relating to these truths that can only come when your spirit brings them about. Father, as the one who gets to preach this passage, I am keenly aware of my insufficiencies and inadequacies and need for your hand to work to take these truths home. And so, Lord, we bow before you, humbled and yet incredibly grateful for Christ's sake. Amen. Just a question to get started here. Have you ever made a promise and you fully meant it, but you didn't keep it? Yeah, yeah. And, and then the next question is, have you ever lied? <clears throat> See, no, of course we have. We've made, and why? Because we are just duplicitous, disingenuous people? No. <clears throat> Some of you are going, I'm not even sure what that means, but if you, that means I'm a liar, I guess. I, yeah, okay. Yeah, we don't, we don't mean not to keep our promises uh, unless we're really you know, out there on edge, not being very gracious and, and upright. But most of the time we intend to, but circumstances get in the way. You know, you say, uh, when you get married, that, that vow that you're taking there, and, and then the commitment that you make to one another, you're, you're going to be faithful. And sure, that's great that you keep that. But there's this other thing. It's like a friend of mine said, my commitment to my wife, I'm going to outserve her as long as we're married. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, guys, we got a lot of serving to figure out from our wives. But we, we, we meant it, we meant to do it, we just haven't quite gotten there yet. Or, or we made promises to our kids, hey, listen, I'll never miss one of your games this season. I'm going to be there every game, I'll be, I'll be there. And this stuff happens, work happens, and things happen that you didn't have any control over, or sickness happens, or work. and you didn't mean to, and it's not like you broke a promise, you just didn't keep it all the way. And, and we just came through... Uh, Dare I say it, a political cycle. You remember that? Wasn't that long ago. And, and when you were watching the politicians parade in front of the microphones, you know they're not going to keep their promises. Not because they're lying to you. They're not trying to do that. They have every intention of doing what they said they're going to do. But stuff happens. I mean, they don't have the budget to pull it off. Or they got some of the opposing party who are going to stop them every way they can. Or COVID-19 might hit. Or this might happen or that might happen. And they have all their best intentions of, of doing what they say they're going to do. And in some cases, we're going to praise God. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. In other cases, we're going to like, we're still waiting, we're still waiting. But there's a certain innate skepticism that grows up in the human heart. When we hear people make promises and we know that it's very probable that they won't be able to keep those promises. Not so with God. Aren't you glad? I mean, God has stated incredible promises throughout the scriptures. And he will never not keep those promises. First Peter says everything pertaining to life and godliness is, has been granted to us through these great and magnificent, precious promises of God. It's, it's been given to us. And God promised it was going to be there. Here in verse 6, he makes a promise to us. You came to know Christ. Praise God for that. You were saved from your sin, justified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, my promise to you is having begun by grace through faith, I'm going to carry it through to completion until the day of Christ. And when we're done, I'm going to hang a sign around your neck that says, done. Complete. Just like Jesus. 
And that's what the goal is, Christ-likeness. Now, the problem for us is that we, we start the race, and after about four or five steps, we get tired and start looking for a place to sit down. And he's going, <laughs> no, spurring you on. Let's go. Let's keep going. Well, yeah, but, but Lord, this is hard. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? It's impossible, actually. Let's keep going. You can't do it apart from me. And so he says, as Paul's writing to the Philippians, he says, I'm, I'm confident of something. And you need to be confident too, that he who began that work in you on the first day, when I, I introduced you to the savior, Lydia, seller of purple there. When you first met Christ on the beach that day, on that moment, God began to work in you and he's not going to stop until he has made you over into the image of Christ. Slave girl doesn't even get a name. She's just slave girl. The one was demon possessed, demons cast out. She comes to know Jesus. He just began something in you, but he's carrying it all the way through to completion. He's not going to stop until you're like Jesus. Jailer there in Philippi, you and your family, you met Christ from the first day until now. God has been at work perfecting you in Christ. Friends, we got the bar set really low, don't we? I just, I'm just saved by the grace of Christ. Yes, but not saved just to escape hell. Saved so that you can grow up to be like Jesus. And so he's saying here, this is what I'm, I'm doing. I'm confident that the Father who saved you through Christ, who has indwelt you by the Holy Spirit, didn't do it just to keep you from condemnation. He's doing it to manifest the great grace of Christ in your life. And do a makeover that the world will look at you eventually and say, how in the world did that become that? What a pleasure that is to know. The almighty God promises us that when he started a work of redeeming grace in our lives, he has no intention of backing down. He is not going to give up, let up, back down, slow down, or compromise until we are made over into the image of Christ. Now, for some of us, this might going to take a little bit longer work than others. But his promise is it's going to be done in every one of us who know Christ. What's our goal? To not make the leap so dramatic at the end, Right? We want to be able to be moving along, growing in grace, building up to maturity in Christ, letting him build us up to maturity in Christ. That's what he wants us to do. So in this passage, there are three evidences that God's serious about this. He has a strategy. Paul outlines just a a glimpse of it in this passage. And he tells us in the first part of the passage, God's going to use people to do it. He puts you in the body of Christ for a reason. You heard folks say, well, I I believe in God and I trust Christ as Savior, but I don't really believe in the organized church. So, wait a minute, you just reversed yourself. You believe in Christ, but you don't believe in what Jesus said. Well, I didn't say that. Yeah, you did, because he said the church is my people gathered together. You do need the church. Why would I put you in a place where you don't need to be? I'm putting you there because you need people. You need folks gathered around you. You need folks who are spurring you on. In Hebrews 10, it says, let's not forsake our assembly together. This is the habit of some. But you continue to be together. All the more till the day is coming near. Uh, The day of the Lord is coming near. You need to be together because people need each other 
in that process. We'll fill in the gaps in that in just a minute. But he also gives us not just people, but he gives us, verse 6, promises to us. Here's the promise. I'm going to do it all the way through to the end. Not shortchanging you of the full journey. You're going to get it all. It's for you. I promise what I began in you, I'm not going to stop until it's done. Now, we need to pause there for a minute. That's a promise of God. Does he mean it? Does my life reflect it? Am I in process or is there some stunted growth happening in me? Or am I seeing advances from one stage of glory to the next, as he talks about in 2 Corinthians? The promises are there. So he, he gives us people to help that happen. And then he gives us his own promises to help that happen. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so you know the next one's going to start with a P, don't you? <laughs> prayers. What else would it be, right? In, in all my prayers, they're prayers of joy, he says in verse 4. And then pick it up in verses 9 to 11. He explains what he prays. How he prays for this goal to be accomplished, that God would work in you to carry through to completion until the day of Christ, all that he's looking to do in you. And so he, first of all, brings us together with other people. There's a partnership that's established there, that, that we are joint participants together. And so in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. In other words, every time I think of you, it just brings a smile to my face. I mean, every time... I think of Lawndale from the rest of my life. I'm just kind of going to go, God's good. God's good. What a great people. What a, what a wonderful thing. What a, what a sweet privilege of being. I just thank God every time I remember you. Some of you, some of you don't know this. I, I talked to Pastor Joe this past week just to say, hey, thank you for setting me up. <laughs> Let me be able to be there. A friend of mine used to say, he says, hey, I'll lather them, you go in and shave them. And, All right, whatever. I, I just, I'm just glad to be here. And, but here's the thing, you might not know, I've, I've prayed for Joe in this church for over 15 years. It's just been a joy to be able to do it. So um, upon every remembrance, uh, Paul is saying here, I, I just smile. I, I have prayers of joy, this joyful prayerfulness there. I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine that I worked with in seminary many, many years ago, right? Back then, back then. And, and so I, I had a chance to call and, and we talked for like 40 minutes like we haven't missed a beat. And it's been probably a couple of years since we had a conversation. But, but to be able to just pick right back up because I remember him with joy and gratitude every time I think of it. It's joyful praying when I lift his name before the Father. And I've got friends all over the world who are in ministry. It, it's a glorious thing. And it just brings a smile to my face. I'm, I'm Facebook friends with people whose language appears on the page of my Facebook page. And I got no idea but just smile. Whatever that is, I bet that's good, you know. <clears throat> and then I see pictures of them smiling and, and doing ministry and stuff. And I just get excited about that. So that's what Paul's saying here. People, we need each other. Joyfully praying for each other. And, and then demonstrating grateful love toward each other, expressing that gratitude when possible. It's, it's something else. What happens when you express your gratitude to somebody and just say something that's, that's appreciative? I, I was thinking about this several years ago, and somebody asked me a question. says, well, who are you thankful for in your life in particular? Well, that's a, that's a huge list of people. 
but somebody in particular that might be encouraged to get a note from you. Well, that's interesting. And the Lord put on my mind two teachers, one from fifth grade and one from seventh grade. And these two teachers just absolutely rang my bell. They, they were great teachers. They loved their students. They were challenging. They were exciting. They were brilliant. They, they just, and I had never really, I mean, a fifth grader, how much appreciation is the fifth grader? Thank you very much. You know, fifth graders are not noted for being effusively grateful, particularly fifth grade boys. And so seventh grade boys, not much better. Two years of maturity had not increased my gratitude that much. And so I wrote a letter to each of these teachers and just said, hey, uh, God's blessed me. I've got this beautiful wife, glorious family, and, and this wonderful ministry. And, and I owe a debt of gratitude to you for your investment you made in my life. Yes. Well, it made me cry. Just writing the letters made me cry. Made them cry too, so there, I got them. <laughs> and and we, we had a little exchange. I got a note back from both of them. See, fifth and seventh grade teachers know how to do writing with beautiful handwriting too. And so I get these sweet notes from them and just thank you so much for that. And you kind of figure, well, do I thank them for the thank you? And then they thank me for the thank you for the thank you. And then how long does this go on? And we've never stopped writing since. You know, that's not true. But I mean, we, we think of that. And you think about who invested in you in ministry. Hebrews 13 says that we are to remember those who, who gave the word to you, who invested in your walk with Christ. And sometimes you need to go back and to that man or that woman uh, or, or that friend who invested in your walk with Jesus and, and say, you know what, that was an incredible thing that you did. Thank you so much. And so Paul is saying that to the Philippians here. Man, when I think of you and the people, not just in Philippi, but in my experience of the kingdom of heaven on earth, what a privilege the people of God are to me. You, you want to get excited sometimes reading a passage that you typically skip over in your quiet time? Read Romans 16 sometimes. And Paul just goes through. And by the way, uh, when you see so-and-so and so-and-so, so-and-so, I tell them I said, hey, and, and you know, he didn't say hey because he said it in Greek. But I mean, you know, he goes through and he lists all these people and he's never even been to Rome. But he's been influenced by their ministry. And he is a people-thinking person. People make a difference in our progress, in our growth in faith. And so he says, this is what I want you to understand. We've partnered together in gospel ministry, verse 7. It's, it's only right for me to feel this way about you because we've been in the trenches together. When I was in prison, you were there for me. When we were trying to defend and confirm the gospel message, you were there for me. I praise God for you. That's a great picture here. We long for each other, therefore, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so God says, when I look at my strategy for how I'm going to grow you up to maturity in Christ, I'm going to use people. And I'm going to build you up. And when you begin to think that you got this and you don't need anybody else, you're liable to get slapped down somewhere for the Lord to be able to say, uh, you, you need other folks. I've created you that way. I created you to be a social people. He created man and said it's not good for him to be alone. And then he created woman and then the human race began. He said, We're social people. Why? Because you need each other. And you need that deep affection for one another. Because second thing he says is that when you've got that relationship with one another, I want you to understand that you can be confident that what I began in you, I also began in those who know Christ that you know. 
I am building them up as well. I'm confident of this very thing. So he says, there's a confidence that I want you to all have that has been secured by God's purposes and his faithfulness. His promises are ever true. Now, that leads us to understand that, that wait a minute, as you receive Christ, Colossians 2 says, therefore, I want you to grow up in him, built up in, in faith. As you receive how did you receive him? Well, by grace, through faith, I trusted Christ. So how am I going to grow in Christ? Not by my doing. It's going to be something that he does in me. So he says, I, I do put you around people. I want the people to invest in you. And that's an important piece of it. And, and that is a part of it. But he says, here's the thing. You have a sacred responsibility here. You need to be pursuing the holy life that Christ has for you. You need to be pursuing Christ-likeness and godliness in all your attitudes, your behaviors, everything about you. You need to become more like Christ every day. And so you have a responsibility to grow up to maturity in Christ. Don't set the bar low. Don't settle. Don't get comfortable where you have been. A lot of folks in the body of Christ, I remember we used to have you know, those testimony times when people stand up to give testimony of their faith in Christ, and, and the testimony is 27 years old. I just praise God for the day he saved me. What's he done since? Uh, I praise God for the day he saved me. <laughs> yeah, he's done a lot since then, brother. Let's, let's talk about that too. Praise God for the day he saved you. Never forget that day. Always remember that day. Remember where he brought you from. But Think of where he's taking you and never give up on that. You take this sacred responsibility seriously. In Ephesians 4, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We're pursuing, verse 13, maturity. We're growing up to be mature men and women. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, we proclaim him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone complete in Christ. See, Lawndale will become what God wants it to be when all of us are committed to all the rest of us to present everyone complete in Christ. Well, I know everybody else is not getting it, but I got it. Well, you know, you didn't get it yet. Because you're not satisfied until everybody gets it. Well, it's not my problem. No, it's your joy. There you go. And it's not your standard that they're supposed to be living up to. Hello. That's messing a little bit there. But it's God's standard. And he holds you to it as well as them. So therefore, he says, this is your sacred responsibility to present everyone in the body of Christ. Remember that we need people. Okay, well, here's my promise. I'm promising that you who came to Christ are going to grow up to completion in Christ. And therefore, you need to be committed to presenting everyone around you in Christ. But here's a, here's a little condition. You're not capable of it. Because you don't have divine power to pull it off. And so therefore, you have a responsibility that can only be satisfied when the fullness of the power of God is working in you. Right? And so therefore, what's going to happen? He says, I want you to just understand this very thing. I'm confident, Paul says, of this very thing. He who began 
The good work in you is going to carry it through to completion. How is he able to do that? Because he is God. And he is able. Life verse for me. Favorite verse in the Bible for me. All the way through. 2 Corinthians 9 8. And God is able. That's not the whole verse, but that's a good start point. God is able. What? God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Hello. He covered it. How many times can he say every all and abundant in one verse? He said, I am able to do all of that. And therefore, when it is clear to you as it comes through the words of the Apostle Paul, I am confident of this very thing. Why? Because God is able. And his purposes are always lined up with his faithfulness to accomplish what he sets out to do. He's not going to leave you behind. You may want to sit down, but he will raise you up. You may want to quit, but he will spur you on. You may want to settle, but he wants to sanctify. And so he's going to do what he's going to do. There is this divine preservation at work that he's doing. And you can't read the scriptures without seeing that. You'd have to be blind to read the scriptures and not hear him saying again and again and again, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. This is what I've given you. This is what the provision is. I'm going to carry it through to completion. And I'm just listing a few of them on the screen for you to kind of walk through and see this. One, he gives you a faithfulness in himself that can never be removed. He's going to give you a life that is an everlasting life from John three sixteen. It'll never end. He's going to give you gifts that will never be lost when they come in Christ. He will give you the pouring out of springs of living water that will never cease to bubble up in whoever drinks of those waters. He will have a hand that holds you and nothing can snatch you out of those hands, he promises. There are chains that he says will never be broken, love that can never be separated from you, a calling that can never be revoked, a foundation that can't be destroyed, an inheritance that's never going to fade away. He says, this is some of what I got for you. Lord, it's, it's hard. I got you, though. Lord, I, I don't know if I can make it till tomorrow. I got you. I've got you. And I'm not satisfied with you surviving. My plan is for you to flourish. That's what Jesus said in John 10. I've come that you could have life. And how? Have it abundantly. So he makes us this promise. He says, this is what the, the plan is. Here is my promise. He says, so you've got the people who are around you to help it happen. You, you've got the promises of God that, that you can pursue this sacred responsibility because the sovereign God of the heavens and the earth has held all things together for the purpose of accomplishing his will. And his will for you in Christ Jesus is your completion and perfection in Christ. He said, well, I'll, I'll never be per- perfect according to this you will be one day on the day of christ it's not happening between now and then entirely but he's committed to making it happen as he leads us along the way so he says here's here's the people who are going to help you here's the promises they're going to make it work and paul says now let me just tell you when i have prayers of joy for you in my gratitude for you you might be wondering what what do i pray what, what do I say? How do, how do I fill those moments 
in my prayer time with, with what I actually say to God on your behalf. He said, here's what I pray. This is, this is what I say. I'm always offering prayer for you with joy in every prayer, verse 4. And this is what I pray, verse 9. I'm praying, and this is the key one right in the middle. This is the main purpose of this clause. I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more. That's what you're praying? I'm not done, but yeah. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying that your love will abound still more and more. Jesus says, how are they going to know you belong to me? They're going to know you're followers of Christ by your love. What are they going to conclude if they see you snapping at each other and biting at each other and, and talking ugly about each other and gossiping about each other and dividing the church? What, what, is they going to, what are they going to think? Well, shoot, I'm, I'm just as nasty as they are, and I'm not in the church. If I wanted to get really nasty, I guess I could join the church. I, I don't know. No, that's not it at all. He says, I want you to abound in love still more and more. That's a part of the process that he's saying to us. If you have all knowledge and all insight and all kinds of spiritual gifts and all kinds of, of great things that are happening in your life, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, but you don't have love, you got nothing. So he says, let's back up to the, to the beginning here. I'm praying that you will abound still more and more in love. Okay, okay. How, how's that supposed to happen? Well, first of all, you're going to have to do that by having an advanced knowledge of the things of God. That's the second part of it. He says that you may abound in love still more and more in real knowledge. As there, is there something called fake knowledge? Well, yeah, that's called a lie. But that's not what he's talking about here. Real knowledge is that advanced insight into the truth of God that the Spirit of God gives to the truth of God in his word. And so he says, as you grow in the truth of God and you grow to understand him more and more, what's going to happen is that that spiritual knowledge is going to feed the fires of your passion in love. You separate yourself from the word of truth and the knowledge of God revealed in his word. Your love is going to dry up and, and grow stale. It's going to wither away. You feed that fire of your passionate love with real biblical truth and knowledge of God and all discernment. Because you need to be able to distinguish between that which is going to be profitable to build love and that which is going to be horribly deficient in building and actually be a positive act of harm against love. You need to be able to discern that and then make choices that are wise, discerning. You take the knowledge of God and the discernment of the Spirit, put them together, and we know then how to build one another up in love. And that's what he wants us to do. He says, so here's the request that I make, that you abound in love, that you advance in the knowledge of God, and that you have all discernment in being able to figure out how that's supposed to work. That's why I'm praying for each one of you. So when you're praying for Lawndale... When you're praying for each other in the body of Christ, and we're praying for other churches in the city and across the state and across the nation and then across the world, Paul says, this is some good stuff to be praying for. Pray this. This is the request that I make. Love, knowledge, discernment. Now, what are the results I'm looking for? How am I looking to see this really happen? Well, the result is pretty simple. Verse 10, I'm praying so that you may approve the things that are excellent. 
well, okay, I approve. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. No, there's more to it than that. He says the approval thing is to make sure that we are making choices that line up with what God wants. You approve what's excellent. It means that you are choosing to recognize that God has excellent things out there and he wants us to pursue them and, and give our approval to them so that we are recognizing what is excellent and then we give our life to the pursuit of that. He says, so what I'm looking for, the result is that you can approve the things that are excellent and then go hard after them. Once you've made your choice, there's a little line at a children's musical years ago, you win or lose by the way you choose. Simple, huh? You win or lose by the way you choose. That's what he's saying. I want you to approve and choose and recognize the things that are excellent. Well, how will I know that? Back to that real knowledge and discernment. And what will actually foster the advancing of your loving Christ as you're growing to maturity in him. So he says, I'm praying, this is my request, love, knowledge, discernment. And now the result I'm looking for is that you would pursue that which is excellent. What, what does that look like? Well, he says the first part of that excellence is that you actually have a desire to be the real deal. You're done with hypocrisy. You're choosing to go to war with inauthentic Christianity. You want to choose what is excellent. And he says you've got to be desire, desiring sense, uh, sincerity with all your heart. Now, the word sincerity is a word that, that talks about being unalloyed. What is an alloy? Well, I, I've got a wedding band on here that's, that's gold. Sort of. Right? There's alloys in here. If it was pure gold, it would be so soft, it, it would you know, just be bent on all the place. So it's got, it's got to have some alloys in there. I was in India years ago, and uh, all the stuff that they would sell there was 22 karat gold. Not all that they sold there, but I mean, that's, that's a lot of gold in a, in a little piece. Of, so they didn't have as many alloys in it. And so it would cost a whole lot to get unalloyed gold. And here in the States, I don't, I don't even know where you can find that. If you watch television, they'll probably have some ad that'll tell you, buy gold from us. And they'll probably tell you how to do that. But bottom line is, he's saying sincerity means it doesn't have alloys. It doesn't have any, any fillers in there. It's the genuine thing. 100% pure. He said, that's what happens. When you are pursuing what is excellent and are seeking that, it's going to be genuine. It's going to be the, the pure article. Not mocked up, stripped down Christianity. Not a faith in Christ that's brought out only in crisis. But it means that you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you daily, moment by moment. Desire to be genuine and take care, he says, that in your genuineness, you're looking to be blameless so that no charge will stick that's been laid at your feet. We want to defend ourselves when somebody makes a, a spurious charge against us. We, we want to defend our honor. You know, and sometimes it's better to just not respond. Let our blameless behavior speak for itself. And if we are blameless, they can lay all these charges at our feet and they won't stick. We're those Teflon people. You know, it just won't stick. It just right off. So that's what he wants us to understand. You can be blameless. Take care to be blameless. Take care to be genuine and approve the things that are excellent. Why? Because God has, verse 11, filled you with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ. 
He says there is a, there's a seed of righteousness that bears spiritual fruit. Galatians 6 says, the one who sows to his own flesh then shall from that flesh reap corruption. And if you sow to the Spirit, you shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's what he wants us to do, to reap the joyous fruit of righteousness in Christ. Hosea 10, 12 says, sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your foul ground because it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. He has given us this righteousness. So the last piece he has for us here that he prays is that we would experience the, the wonderful blessing of all God's resources being made available to us in a way that we comprehend and employ them toward accomplishing the goal. So Paul's saying, this is what I'm praying for you, that you would get it, you would understand what, what I'm saying here, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, and that you would be filled to the glory and to the praise of the Lord, the God who created you. Chapter 4 of this same book, he kind of summarizes that whole idea very simply. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So you need something, he's got it. Is he going to just give you a little dribble and drabble because he's afraid he might run out? No. Out of his riches. How rich is God? Right? Not, not going to be begging anybody. He says, out of my riches and my abundance... I am going to supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what Paul says? I'm confident that he who began that good work in you is going to carry it through to completion. No joke. This is going to happen. And he will make you a passionate people of praise. He said, when this begins to happen, your life is going to be saturated with praise. Grumbling has no place. Griping has no place. Complaining about everything has no place. You are just going to be living a praise-filled life. How will you know that I'm growing up to maturity in Christ? <clears throat> Evidences of Christ-likeness will be all in you. And so as we begin to think of that, uh, God's promises never fail. So how can we tell they're beginning to be realized in us? How can I do a measure of my own heart? Lord, am I growing? Well, I, don't, I don't know if I am or not. Today, are you more like Jesus than you were yesterday? Well, yeah, because he said I would be. Can't tell it by anything I do or think, but he's promised. Well, let's get in the game. Let's ask some questions. If we have to start off sentence by saying, well, one day, one day I will love the way Jesus loves. What's What's wrong with this day? Well, there's some mean snakes out there, and I don't want to love. Okay, well, let's start with forgiveness, the way Jesus forgives. If you you got that, you're not going to be able to love them until you forgive them. So let's start with forgiveness. But what happens if I one day will love others unconditionally and extravagantly? Why not today? The measure of our growth is whether or not we're making progress in such a way. One day, I'm going to grow in my sensitivity to sin. My conscience will actually hit me earlier and keep me from it rather than later and make me sorry I did. Growing in sensitivity to sin. I'm going to get to the place where I give thanks instead of grumble. That I spend time every day in the Word and in prayer. I'm hitting about four out of seven now. Good, you got three more days to go. 
Uh, that's a good week. I might sometimes only hit two days out of it. Well, then you've got a, a plan at work here because there's seven days in every single week. Let's, one day I'm going to do it. Why not today? One day I'm going to worship God instead of worry. One day I'm going to be faithful in giving. Oh, man, you started meddling now. Tithes and offerings are not suggestions. Well, one day, I'll get around doing that. You got a checkbook? Yeah, I don't even, I'm not a pastor here. I just, you know, I can say stuff like this and go home, you know. <laughs> I'm going to have a dog in this fight. Yeah, yeah, Larry, that'll be a hundred bucks, man. I mean, uh, Jimmy, give me that money. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's just one day, I'm going to, what, what's wrong with the day? Uh, one day, I'm going to be bold and share Christ. Effectively and boldly and, and consistently. You see, we, we, we fill our lives with these one days. The response to a person who is saying, I'm going to pursue this sacred responsibility is to say, today, today is the day I will. And God has promised he's going to carry this work through to completion. I'm going to say today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Lord, here is a blank sheet of paper and I'm signing my name on the bottom of it and you fill in what goes above it. I trust you. Would you do that with your checkbook? Hey, I'm just going to sign it. You fill in whatever amount you want. Really? Yeah. Because God, I trust you. And so I'm going to give you a blank sheet of paper with my name at the bottom. And the rest of that page is, yes, I will. And so what did we, what did we sing a while ago? Even when I don't feel it, he's working. And even when I don't see it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. He never stops. He never stops working. And then we repeat it again and again. And, and then we get to that place where we say, you know what? I think I actually believe that. And this church is never going to be the same when we begin to actually believe that he's not going to stop until he has perfected us in Christ. Until we labor together admonishing, teaching one another until we are presenting everyone here complete in Christ. I'm not sure I want that. You and Jesus need to have a conversation then because he's working at cross purposes with your purposes if you're not lined up with what he's trying to do. May God get the glory for what he's going to do in this place. Let's pray. Father, we bow humbled because we know in honesty that we're not where we're supposed to be We're not where we were, but, Father, we're not where we're going to be. We want to be closer day by day to where you're taking us than we are now. Lord, take our blank sheet with our signature at the bottom and do with us what you need to do to make us mature, complete, perfecting us in Christ. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word in in 1 Thessalonians that the God of peace himself will sanctify us entirely, completing that work, body, soul, and spirit, until we are like you. Lord, accomplish your purposes in us, and we will be the first and the quickest to declare your glory and praise in all the earth. We thank you for the honor of being your children. In Christ's name, amen.